0: Oh Lord, we bring before you those for whom the stresses and pressure of drought and fires has resulted in loss, whether it's loss of property, loss of their homes, loss of life, loss of emotional health, loss of livestock, and in some cases relational breakdown as well. Oh Lord, would you comfort all who are grieving? Lord, we can barely imagine the desperation and the hopelessness of of living off the land. We give thanks for the resilience of farmers and communities. Lord, we do know that many are close to breaking point. And so we pray that they would look to you. We pray that you would minister peace and strength and hope to all who are suffering. We pray for the welfare of, of suffering animals as well, both farm animals and wildlife, Lord, we know that all creatures are precious in your sight. And Father, as we give and we write notes of encouragement, we pray that these will find their their way to to places, to families, as it is needed. We give thanks for the power of love and that it brings people together in the face of tragedy, in the assurance that you never leave us to endure trials alone. Lord, we want to pray, most of all, for life-giving, soaking rain to bring relief to parched land and depleted rivers, rain that will put out fires and bring new life. And Lord, until that day arrives, will you protect and sustain farmers and rural communities, those fighting fires and those who have been displaced during this difficult and challenging time. Lord, we're also mindful that this physical drought serves as a bit of a metaphor of the spiritual drought of our nation that for so many in our nation, their hearts are dry and far from you. Jesus, thank you that you have said that those who walk with you, that streams of living water will flow from within us. And Lord God, I want to pray that over this Christmas, that we will bring your life-giving presence, your living water, to those who we spend time with, and especially those whose hearts are far from you. Holy Spirit, lead us to recognise and obey your promptings to go out of our way to love, to invite, to include, to bless, to serve, to listen and to speak. May streams of living water flow through us to others over this Christmas and through this holiday season. Amen.
1: The Bible reading for this morning is Isaiah 42, 1-9. The servant of the Lord. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout out or cry out, or raise his voice in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teaching the islands will put their hope. This is what God the Lord says, the creator of the heavens who stretched them out, who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another, or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place, and new things I declare, before they spring into being, I announce them to you. This is the word of the Lord.
2: Morning, everyone. My name's Steve. 600 years before Jesus was born, this incredible disaster, catastrophe came upon the people of God. The Babylonians came and they took their land. The Babylonians came and they destroyed you know, the holy city of Jerusalem. Worse than that, they took the temple and razed it to the ground. The kings were deposed, killed, taken into exile. The royal family was no more. But into this devastation, what made it even worse was the crisis of faith that came with it. Because for most of the people who who were there, they just could not believe that God would allow that to happen. I mean, you think about it, this is the land that God promised to his people. This is the land that God gave them, the promise to Abraham. Moses leading them to this promised land. This was the city where they had built the temple to worship the Lord, where he would dwell among his people. The kingship of David was one that would be established forever, a covenant that would endure. There would always be someone from the line of David on the throne. It wasn't just the destruction, the taking away of their land, the destruction of the temple and the city. It was a crisis of faith that went with it, but they'd failed to listen to the word of God written in the law, where God says to them, if you follow in my ways, I will bless you, but if you turn from me, then I will take this from you. They failed to hear the word of the Lord. They failed to listen to the prophets. Prophet After prophet came and said, you need to stop doing what you're doing. You need to turn your heart back to the Lord. You need to get rid of your idolatry. You need to stop the injustice or the Lord will bring judgment upon the land. And they said that will never happen because the promises of God are forever. The promises of God will endure. It doesn't matter what we do. This is a promise from God. This is our land. This is our city. These are our kings. It caused this crisis of faith. But into that, God speaks words of hope through the prophets as well. Remember that Jeremiah says, I will make a new covenant, a new covenant with my people. And in the book of Isaiah, chapter 40 begins just this amazing series of words of hope. It is a book of hope. The first 39 chapters, maybe not so much, there are glimpses of it, but from 40 on, just these words of hope, comfort, comfort my people. Words of restoration, words of life. And this is where the passage that Neil just read to us sits in Isaiah 42. Just beautiful passages that speak of the restoration of God. Here is my servant whom I hold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him. This sense of anointing, this sense of a new king, one who would come. I put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. Faithfulness, he will bring justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. Just this sense of relationship. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. And then there's this beautiful little promise of the newness of God, that he would do a new thing. See, the former things have taken place. They have, haven't they? And new things I declare before they spring into being, I announce them to you. Isaiah 42 is reflected in Isaiah Chapter 11 as well, and it's really similar. Again, just this promise of restoration in Isaiah 11. Just sections of it. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, from his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord, there it is again, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. And again, instead of injustice, with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. And righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness, the sash around his waist. I love this expression, the stump of Jesse. This sense of of a mighty tree that had been cut down and yet from it, new life springs. And I think in Australia we get that because we have these incredible trees and what is blackened and what is burnt and what looks completely dead, life will spring. And if it doesn't spring from the actual trunk itself, from the base of the tree, these new trees will just spring. It's incredible to see. And this is the image that Isaiah uses. That into devastation God speaks words of hope for the future, the hope of a new covenant, the hope of a saviour king, the hope of the kingdom and the hope that even from death itself God will bring life. Why did Jesus come? We've spoken in the last two weeks that Jesus comes for joy, he comes for peace but he also comes to fulfil and to bring hope. The understanding of that we have of hope and the way in which we use the word hope is very different from the way the Bible uses the word hope. It's a very different thing when we talk about hope and the Greek word elpis. When we talk about hope, we talk about a desire or wishful thinking, okay? So I'm a West Tigers supporter. I hope that they will win a game this coming year. You know, like that's just wishful thinking. It's hopeful, right? You know, Harold, you're the same. You're a Paramount Eels supporter, even more desperate. There's a sense in which I <laughs> I hope, like I hope that the eels may win a premiership ever again. But again, it's wishful thinking that it may ever happen, right? See, this is how we tend to use the word hope. Hope it rains. I have no control over it, but I hope it rains. But when the Bible speaks of hope, it's a confident expectation of that which is promised. It's a waiting for something that will take place. Because our hope is not in a football team, our hope is not in the weather. Our hope is in God and in His promise. A way that I guess I I'll illustrate it in my teenage years, and, and maybe you know, people do this through their teenage years, young adult years. You, you kind of hope that at one stage you might get married, and you can't really control that. But there's this hope, and I remember after a couple of disastrous relationships, Kathy's was not one of them, by the way, but after. A, <laughs> That's not pre-Kathy. Um, I just remember as you know, someone in my older teens, you know, wondering, would I actually find somebody who would love me? Would I actually find someone whom I love? Would I ever get married? And there was this sense of a hope that I would get married. Now, that's a very different hope than the hope I had on the 16th of November 1991. See, on the morning of the 16th of November 1991, I still hoped to get married. So nothing had changed in that sense, and yet everything has changed. Because at that stage, I was waiting to get married. I had a confident expectation that Cathy and I would be married. Now, she left me waiting, but that's a very unusual thing because Kathy's generally on time to everything. Yeah, 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 I'm going to give you the, like, the, it was pouring with rain. It really was torrential rain. <laughs> And so I'm waiting for her to arrive. But it was not helped by the fact that when Kathy and her dad arrived at the church, her dad got out of the wedding car with the umbrella and proceeded to come into church without her. <laughs> it was only when he was tapped on the shoulder and somebody reminded him that he was meant to, <laughs> that he had to then go back to the car and for Kathy to get out, trying to stay somewhat dry. See, there's a very different kind of hope from when I'm hoping to find someone, from when I'm hoping to get married, to when I'm standing at the front of the church with a, a hope and expectation, but it's a confident expectation, because it's based on a promise that Kathy had said yes. So when the Bible talks about hope, that's exactly what it's saying. It's not a, "Maybe this will happen. I wish this would happen." It's the confident expectation as we wait for God's promises to be fulfilled does that make sense good cuz the rest of the sermon kind of hangs on that <laughs> why did jesus come he came for joy he came for peace but there he came for hope and there are two aspects of the hope that i want to speak about this morning firstly jesus is born to fulfill the hope of israel He fulfils all of the promises made by God, all of the words spoken of by the prophets. Jesus is born to fulfil the hope of Israel. But there's a second aspect to the hope that Jesus brings. Jesus is born to bring hope to the world. The first one, Jesus is born to fulfil the hope of Israel. This is actually the constant declaration in the Gospels. Mark is the, the quick Gospel, straight into it. So Mark, just very beginning, Mark 1.1, 1, 1, Jesus is the Messiah. Whoa, talk about a spoiler. Like, there it is. Jesus is the Messiah. Don't bother reading the rest of the book. This is all you need to know. Jesus is the Messiah. Let me untell you some stories about which proves it. Matthew, what does he start with? He starts with the genealogy. Begat, 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 son son of, son of, son of, son of. He gets to the end, what's his point? Jesus is the Messiah. He gives you the whole lineage of Jesus to make that one point and he spells it out in verse 16, that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the fulfilment of the hope of Israel. Uh, in Matthew 1, 22, Matthew is, is big on placing Jesus into the prophecy. He says all of this took place, the birth of Jesus, to fulfil what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Uh, Luke's Gospel is just this sequence of uh, references to Jesus being the fulfilment of the hope of Israel. Firstly, it's the angel Gabriel who announces that to Mary. Jesus will be the fulfilment of all the promises. Uh, The prophet Zechariah does the same. There's a priest called Simeon, he does the same. You've even got men coming from the east who, who declare that Jesus is a king, born to be king of the Jews. In Luke 2, 8 to 11, this a really well-known story of angels coming uh, to some of the, the least likely people to receive good news. Uh, and they come to the shepherds and they say, do not be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Because today, in the town of David, a Saviour has been born to you. Guess what he is? He is the Messiah, the Lord, the Christ, the Lord You see, there's this constant declaration that Jesus fulfils the hope of Israel. And Jesus himself declares that he comes to fulfill the hope of Israel. Uh, In Matthew chapter 11, there's this interaction that takes place between John and Jesus. Uh, John is in prison. He sends disciples to ask Jesus this question. He says, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Oh, that's a little insulting, I think. (laughs) Is that it? (laughs) Um, Are you the one to come? Or should we expect someone else? And Jesus' reply comes straight out of the prophetic words. Just listen to how similar they are to Isaiah. Jesus replies, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Jesus speaks the words of the prophets back to John, that I am the one who comes to fulfil the hope of Israel. If you jump over to Matthew chapter 12, there's this long section. And right in the middle of Matthew chapter 12 is Isaiah 42. Just to make it really clear, you know, this is my servant who I've chosen. The passage is there in the middle of chapter 12. And before and after that passage from Isaiah chapter 42 are two stories, and they're really significant. The first is the story of a man with a withered hand. And he comes to Jesus on the Sabbath, and Jesus heals him. He shows his authority both over illness, this restoration event that takes place, but also over the Sabbath as well. And then there's this passage from Isaiah chapter 42. And then after, he, the story is told of a man who is both blind and mute. And what does Jesus do? He heals him as well. So we have these two healing stories wrapped around Isaiah chapter 42. And the implication is really clear that Jesus is the one who comes to fulfil the hope of Israel. And it's not just words, it's the signs that accompany Jesus that prove it. Jesus, after healing the man who was blind and, and mute, gets into a discussion with the Pharisees, who basically says, uh, he heals people and he releases them from demons through the power of demons. And Jesus, with a rebuke to them, says, if I drive out demons basically by Beelzebul, who do, whom do your people drive them out by? If it is by the Spirit of God. If it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then know this, says Jesus, that the kingdom of God has come upon you. You see, not only his words, but his signs declare that Jesus comes to fulfil the hope of Israel. But there's a a second aspect to this. He comes not only to fulfil the hope of Israel, but to bring hope to the whole world. His kingdom is not limited to Israel, But the new covenant is not limited to Jews, but to all who believe. John 3.16, possibly the most well-known passage in the Bible. The Son comes to save not just the Jews, but the world. For God so loved the world, the cosmos is the Greek word, that he sent his only Son. And salvation is not just to the Jews, but to whoever believes. And whoever believes does not stand condemned. You see, the hope that Jesus brings is not just the fulfilment of the hope of Israel, that a Messiah would come, but the hope is life and life in all its fullness. The hope is salvation, that there would be no condemnation for those who believe. And this hope is not just our wishful thinking, but it's anchored in the very promises of Jesus that this is said what he would do, that he would give his life as a ransom for our sins, that his body would be broken, that his blood would be shed to bring in, to usher in this new covenant. You see, our hope in our salvation, our hope in Jesus is not just wishful thinking, but it's a confident expectation that comes both from his words, but also the event in history, his death and his resurrection. That changes everything. You see, our hope is a confident expectation because of whom we have our hope in. It is in Jesus Christ, and our hope of God is based in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Peter says it this way he says, Through him being Jesus, you believe in God, who raised him, again Jesus, from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Faith and hope are often linked in Scripture because they do, they go together. The confident expectation comes from our faith in the events of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. These are not wishful thinkings, but they are certainties because of his death and resurrection. Uh, The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8 speaks of hope as well in a different way. He speaks about the hope that is not only for us, but tapping back into this concept of God so loved the cosmos, the whole world, all of creation, he says this. Paul, in chapter 8, verse 22, he says, We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who are first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship the redemption of our bodies for in this hope we are saved but hope that is seen is no hope at all who hopes for what they already have but if we hope for what we do not yet have we wait for it patiently you see there's a sense in which paul comes back to that what is our hope based on it is both it is based on the life and the death and the resurrection of jesus christ and he brings the spirit in as well that the Spirit testifies to the truth of this, speaks to us about our identity, our adoption as we wait. And what is the hope? Well, at the end of chapter 8, I think he puts it in a way that is just so beautiful. He speaks of the hope. He says, What then shall we say in response to all this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his only Son but gave him up for us, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Jesus Christ, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. And then this, I think, is just the most beautiful word of hope. Then who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who? And what's his answer? No one. Absolutely nothing. Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, because in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels, demons, the present, the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, the hope that we are given, the hope that is given, made available to the whole world, is it from death, comes life and that there is nothing, nothing that can separate us from that life and from the love of God. And when we grasp this hope, it changes the way we see life, does it not? It should. And when we grasp this hope, when we have this confident expectation of what Christ has already done for us and the implications of it, it changes the way we see life, but also the way in which we live life. And there are many ways that we could talk about this, but I just want to leave us with a few this morning. Firstly, the hope that Jesus brings is a hope that tells me that I am no longer defined by what I was. The hope that Jesus brings tells me that I am no longer defined by what I was, be that my successes or be that my failures, but that I am defined by who I am and in Jesus Christ. My adoption to sonship. And so we have this confidence, this expectation that we are adopted into God's family, that we are redeemed, that we are forgiven. And this is not wishful thinking. This is our hope and our trust, our faith in what Christ has done for us. As I mentioned last week, this, this hope that we belong, that we belong to the family of God. I know in my own life I have spent way too many years trying to impress others that I have spent way too many years trying to define myself by my successes, by what I do, the way people see me. And I think I'm probably not the only one. But when we understand hope, then it changes the way we define ourselves. That I'm not defined by my successes or by my failures. But above all, I am defined by who I am in Jesus Christ, adopted into God's family. And I see myself as his and that can never be taken away from us. It is a hope also that tells me that death is not the end. It is a hope that even from death that God can bring life and we see this perfectly in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see it's the resurrection of Jesus Christ that gives me confidence that I am forgiven. It is the resurrection of Jesus Christ that gives me the confidence that I have spiritual life, that I have been made new now. And it is the resurrection of Jesus Christ that gives me confidence that I have eternal life with him. I read from John 14 last week, and just going back, but reading a little bit more, he says, "'Do not let your hearts be troubled. "'You believe in God, believe also in me. "'My Father's house has many rooms.' If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. There's a reason why that passage is read out at so many funerals. Because it speaks of the confident expectation that death is not the end. That because of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ we have confidence that we will have eternal life with him. We have confidence that heaven is our home. You know, the early church did not seek out death. The early church was not filled with people who sought martyrdom. But the early church had people in it who did not fear death. Stephen was the first of many, many who were killed because of their faith. As I think about this And the type of faith that I have, the kind of expectation and hope that I have that death is not the end, I find my faith being strengthened by reading about the persecuted church. If there is a church that most resembles the early church, surely it is today's persecuted church. Because they live this and they have to live this out. They live out their faith in the sure and the certain hope, the knowledge of who they are, but also the knowledge that nothing can separate them From the love of God. Uh, Iran is one country where it's extraordinarily dangerous to be a Christian, but it's a country where there have been thousands upon thousands of converts from Islam to Christianity. Some have come to faith after leaving Iran, some have come to faith and have left Iran seeking a place to actually express their faith, but many remain in Iran and they continue to live out their faith there. On the 31st of August, uh, there was a woman, Fatima Bakhtiri. She began a one year prison sentence, and her crime was propaganda against the government. The judges gave her the choice. She could renounce her faith, she could stop talking about Jesus. So the choice is renounce Christ or go to prison. What did she choose? Prison. What would you choose? What would I choose? On the 13th of October of this year, nine men were given the same choice. Renounce your Christian faith, stop talking about it, or go to jail, go to prison. They chose prison and they were given a sentence of five years. The crime? Acting against national security. You see, We have so much to learn from the persecuted church. They teach us. That our hope is that death is not the end. That what matters more than my comfort or my position in society is my faith in Christ and my identity in him. See, our hope is the confidence of who I am in Christ. And hope gives us the confidence that not even death will separate me from him. But it is also a hope that waits for this. It waits patiently, but in the meantime is never passive. Do you ever wonder what the early church did when Jesus left? Because he told them he was going to come back again. I think most of them thought they wouldn't be dead before he came back. Jesus says, I will return. And so as I understand it and read the book of Acts, the first disciples stayed in the upper room and they played 500 for the remaining months. (laughs) And then they moved home and they waited. Is that the way it is? See, when we understand hope, we wait, but it's never, ever passive. When we get hope it causes us to remember that we are part of the kingdom of God, that we are a tangible expression of God's kingdom. What did the early church do as they waited? They spoke about Christ. What did the early church do as they waited for Christ? They spoke of the kingdom. They healed the sick. They cared for the poor. Because the hope that Christ brings birthed and continues to birth a church that becomes a tangible expression of the kingdom Of God that has come. A church that makes manifest the love and the grace of the kingdom in what is sometimes a hostile world. Jesus comes to bring joy and to peace, and he comes to bring hope. This confident expectation, both for now and for the future. How does the hymn go? Bright hope for today. No, hope for today, and bright hope is for tomorrow. And it's a confidence not just in his words, but because he is the one. Jesus Christ is the one who in every sense turned death into life. And as we come to Christmas, I just want to ask that question. Do you have this hope? Do you have this confident expectation? Or do you sit in church sometimes just with a wishful thinking that maybe, maybe God will save you? Maybe, maybe eternal life is for you. I just want to say that if you don't know the hope of Jesus Christ, can I encourage you to place your faith in him? To actually, before you go this morning, find someone to talk with or to pray with and actually ask that God by his Holy Spirit would actually give you that confident expectation that you are his. That it is by faith, by faith alone, that we receive the grace of God in our lives. And for others, if you have questions around this, how can I be confident? Isn't that just being arrogant? (laughs) If you have questions around, how can I be confident in the promises of God? Then again, come and talk with us, note it on a card or something, and we would love to explore that further with you. I just want to pray for us. Father, at this time of the year, we just want to declare our thanks and our praise that Jesus Christ comes as the the fulfilment of the hope of Israel, but so much more. He becomes the hope of the world. He becomes the one in whom we place our hope, the one whom we have faith in, in his life and in his death, in his resurrection, that his words and his promises are true, that when he speaks of our forgiveness, when he speaks of eternal life, we have this confident expectation as we wait that these words are true and will come about. And Father, I just want to pray for those who struggle with that sense of hope, that life feels more like a series of wishes and and maybes rather than that confident expectation in what you will do. So Father, just by your Holy Spirit, would you minister into people's lives this morning? And Father, for those who have questions, I pray that they just wouldn't put them aside, but they would explore them and seek after the one who brings life. And Father, for each one of us, would you remind us that you are the God who brings life from death? That even the most difficult circumstances, that there are things that remain true, your presence and your grace, your love, your forgiveness, and the promise that you can restore and bring to life all things. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who brings it alive in us. We thank you for this time of year as we remember that in the person of Jesus Christ you came to us. And may that shape all that we do. In Christ's name we ask this. Amen.